0: Hey, this is Julie St. George with the Perfect Property Podcast, and today I have Rick Hale. Hi, Rick. Hey, how are you? Great. We are going to talk about the top awesome reasons to buy real estate now. And Rick Hale has been selling real estate here in the Atlanta greater area since 1996, right?
1: It's been a while, 1996, right in the middle of the Olympics.
0: Amazing. You have a team of nine active agents and staff, and you guys have done approximately over 200 sales a year,
1: yeah That's all amazing. the way dating back to the early 2000s when we dialed up our volume.
0: Excellent you're also an operating partner for six offices for the Keller Williams realties uh, here and you are the operating partner for my real estate office of the Red intown.
1: I am the glorious intown office, my very first uh, franchise first office that I opened in fact in 2001.
0: I love it over there. Um, we did a, just under 12,000 units um, with your combined offices, and a number that absolutely blows my mind, our offices, our Heart of Atlanta group, sold $3.4 billion, billion billion with a B, it's in crazy. real estate just last year.
1: Yep. Amazing. It's amazing what people can do when they put their head down and, and serve people well. And 1,400 people doing it, it adds up.
0: That's amazing. I'm really happy to be a part of it. Well, and, thank you. Yeah, no, thank you very much for giving us the opportunity. So today, the top awesome reasons to buy real estate now.
1: Take it away. Awesome. Well, there's, I mean, so along the way, when I started out in the business, I was 30 years old and looked 12. And, uh, and had, had long quick, hair, right? I did, and then I decided I should cut it not to <laughs> discriminate myself or, or face false judgment um, from elder or older folks, and remember, I looked really young. And so what I found early on was that my favorite part of the business in selling real estate was helping buyers buy first-time homes, and it can be scary and intimidating, and um, what I also figured out early on is that the way to remove fear is create excitement and opportunity, and they have to um, self-discover that as a path. And so when I was 30, again, looking, most of my peers were 26, 27 years old to low 30s, and Buying a home in Atlanta back then was um, a little more affordable, but um, no less exciting. And early on, I realized that I just didn't know wealthy people that didn't have real estate in their portfolio. And that realization... Allowed me to convert kind of the energy around what I was doing from being a realtor, which sounds you know sterile and, and academic, to being a wealth builder. And when I reframed my energy into the potential I had to impact lives for the balance of their lives in positive economic and lifestyle ways, um, I got more excited about my job every day and realized every day I was a wealth builder, wealth determiner, and an advocate for people to have a bigger, better experience in their world. And so along the way, I kept you know. We We'd have conversations, and I would consult nonstop anybody that I thought with any potential or even future potential. We'd talk about five, 10 years down the road. It doesn't have to be today. But if you don't plant the right seeds today, you'll never bear fruit in the future. And so I'm proud to say hundreds and hundreds and thousands um, are now in homes that I would like to think that I had a small part of their um, the magic of the decision to move forward sooner than later. And it's very uncommon for people to regret making a real estate purchase.
0: And that's really the American dream, right? Is to own a hunk of land for yourself.
1: You're not kidding, and uh, it's it's kind of a big deal. It's not kind of; it is a big deal. It's a huge deal. And so my my again my excitement level. I also realized that listing homes you know required a different skill set than just helping buyers find the perfect home. But um, my theory early on was that if I help enough people buy homes, one day they'll upgrade or add to their portfolio or build more wealth through real estate acquisition, and then eventually I would evolve into a great listing agent as well. And that played out pretty well, actually.
0: Excellent. So give us number one.
1: So number one, these are in no particular order. These were just, as I had conversations and I would self-discover my own truth inside of their responses, I thought, man, if I could... um, quantify, monetize, and just put into terms what it means, you know, what it might mean to their world and their life. And not all of these mean anything or something to some people, but for other people. So there's no weighted reason why these are, you know, one is more important than the other. It's just really, we're all inspired by different things. And the source of the inspiration is irrelevant if the outcome's awesome. And so these are touch points or discussion areas just to make sure that if you're thinking about buying you know, residential or commercial real estate or land, or um, there's lots of vehicles for it. Um, why would you? And then, and then, hopefully, the next discussion is how and, and when. And so, one is leverage. You put a small amount of money down, and, and thanks to the lending world that we're in today, um, the interest rates are insanely low. And you could put, you know, as an easy round example, you put $5,000 down or 10000 down on a $100,000 asset, and it appreciates 10% to $110,000. The typical thought a buyer might have is that, wow, it appreciated 10%, when the reality is you put $10,000 down, and now you have $20,000 in cash equity because the property appreciated $10,000, and you put 10000 you literally doubled your money, and the stock market... As In contrast, you'd put $10,000 down and you only benefit from $10,000 of ownership, not $100,000 in in average value. So I feel like leverage is a pretty cool component. Another is that all of the interest paid along the way is is deductible. Uncle Sam is, you know, our country, I should say, is just committed to allowing um, and inspiring people to buy property. And so... Literally, if you pay ten thousand dollars a year in payments, it's not uncommon that eighty seventy five percent of that is is directly paid towards interest early on, and that's all tax deductible. And I would reframe that energy too. That if at the end of the year, if you're writing off eight thousand dollars in mortgage interest, you um, you might actually find yourself in a lower tax bracket, which is a, affects all of your tax taxable income. But um, in the end, the actual cash value is at least twenty to twenty five percent, if not thirty or more, depending on your tax bracket and Write-offs. And so, with that in mind, it's almost as if Uncle Sam's paying for a month or two of your mortgage every single year, year just in the tax credit uh, by being able to write off mortgage interest.
0: Right, and why not leverage the banks to help you fund that? I mean, they're just giving money away at this point. Really, they
1: literally are. And you know, the only downside is if you check your checking account, you're probably you know, your interest rate of return is somewhere starts with a decimal. There's a few zeros, and probably the next number is a one. And mm. so, just saving money isn't really leveraging your money like you can with a real estate purchase.
0: Absolutely. All right. So number one is leverage. Number two, mortgage interest is tax deductible. It What's is. number three?
1: Well, just the appreciation potential is a big deal. The typical housing market over the long run, um, even at uh, very conservative estimates of two to 3% compounded really makes a difference. And over time, um, it's not uncommon that if you make a smart purchase and use a quality realtor like you, Julie, um, you'll make smart decisions where you can actually outrun and beat the, the law of averages. And so the only people I've found that lose money in real estate, by the way, just that whole fear component, are people that have to sell you know, sell at the wrong time. If you have the capacity to carry that that property. Uh, through the downturns, inevitably, the the trend line that's well over 100 years old always favors ownership, and you'll always create a win over time. Um, so one of the first questions I would always ask is, how long do you intend to hold the property or stay in the property? Mm-hmm. And if you've got a three to five-year horizon, you can probably um, outrun or, or beat the trend, You know, the ups and downs that are the micro markets of the moment.
0: Well, and the buyers have really been feeling the squeeze for the last couple of years here in the Atlanta market, and they have been paying over asking price, and they have been paying for full closing costs, but the appreciation we've seen over the last couple of years, the people who paid 20000 over, they're still sitting pretty two years later here in Atlanta with with the the properties appraised even, even higher than that.
1: Yep, not it's uncommon. Unbelievable. It is unbelievable. And, you know, what goes up has to come down again, and the law of equilibrium will show up, and there is going to be a balance point. And the one thing that I always look at is what's the affordability relative to a certain area or a certain house or a certain community. And then the second piece of that question should be, how easy is it to replicate that exact product in the open market? Because supply and demand dictate value every day. If there's more available inventory, prices tend to be compressed. If there's fewer homes available, which has really been the story for a few Mm -hmm. years, and another reason why people are, you know, forced to pay a little more than asking price and sometimes a lot more, is there's just not, you know, enough perfect product for everybody. And I'll share this with you. The Atlanta market, My, the last economic forecast I heard, we were looking at seventy to 80,000 new people moving here for literally the next decade. We're such a hot place to immigrate from the north and um, from all over the world. So it's as people continue to move here, you tip the scales of supply and demand in your favor and owning property becomes a more valued resource. And the upside potential for appreciation is far greater in that scenario.
0: Absolutely. All right, the next one.
1: So again, in no particular order, but I think pride in homeownership is kind of a big deal. Um, the, they're just, there are places in the world that you can't buy property, can't own property. And I just think it's kind of cool. You control the experience and not your landlord. Um, land is, again, not capable of recreation. And the only exception might be the capacity to build a high rise and go higher in the air. But at the end of the day, the dollar per square foot on on dirt, you know, as as supply and demand favor you, will favor a great return. And it's just kind of a big deal to own property, in my humble opinion. Um, I remember buying my first house in my early 20s, and I had three roommates living with me, paying 90% of my mortgage. By the time I backed out my mortgage interest, I was making money um, on my own house. And then I think I sold it three and a half, four years later and made $30,000 in appreciation. So I learned early on that you know it doesn't always work exactly like that, but you can control uh, the economics with a few leverage points. And- uh, so that's a big deal, pride and ownership. The next one would be no tax on capital gains. So when I walked away as an owner-occupant, having lived in it two of the, you know, if you live in a home two of five years and you sell, the appreciation is, is absolutely tax-free, which is insane. If you make $30,000 that I earned, as an example, on my first home in my mid-20s, um, that would be the equivalent of me having to earn fifty or $60,000, well, fifty at least, uh, at my job extra before paying out all of the overhead and taxes and expenses that go with employment. Um, and it was tax-free, so it was equivalent to you know, another 30% greater gain. Unbelievable. So it is, and it's two hundred fifty thousand for an individual and five hundred for a couple. So, if you're blessed to have a great partner, you can elevate that number to an even higher level. The catch is you have to live in it two or five, and that doesn't mean, by the way, you can't rent it for two or three and then live in it for a couple or live in it in a couple, rent it for a couple, and let time again. Time is your is your greatest asset. Yep. Over time, that's the the way to get the greatest gain long term because you'll you'll overcome any dips in the market. Um, So another is the potential. In fact, you had a John Mangum in here earlier. I have 1031 exchanges for commercial and light kind properties. So even then, if you don't live in it, there's still capacity with investment properties, commercial properties, and real estate where you don't live in. You can upgrade and move into other properties. And as long as you transfer that in a 1031 legal way, um, you can push all of your gains into another property and, and basically defer taxes again. And anytime you defer taxes and you're able to reinvest, you compound a rate of return because you have more liquidity in play in the market. So that's kind of a big deal. Here's another. I've noted that I think I I, I can't, I'm not going to swear to this figure, but I believe the average American has less than $5,000 in their bank liquid cash. That's I heard that recently. and it, it makes sense. Well, it's a stunning reality that you don't have capacity. I mean, an emergency really becomes a heightened experience when you don't have liquidity because life throws curveballs. balls. And one of the things that I was speaking to my son, in fact, last night, and he, he I think his exact words were social security is stupid. And we had a nice debate about it. because, And it was a really cool debate. He's a you know a rising sophomore in college. I won't name the school, but it's not Georgia, so I'm sad. But um, his school did win the national championship in football yes, last year. So he's so fairly- So no
0: names, no. It's just
1: Clemson. He's happy. <laughs> All that to say, they're teaching him cool things like Social Security is pointless. But the reality is the the pool of people that are now funding Social Security is not growing bigger. Mm-hmm. And so there is a potential issue there, to say the least. And I know that with my contemporaries, few of us are sitting around hoping that Social Security saves the day and solves our financial misery or, you know, if we should fall short at retirement or after retirement. Um so one way to, to circumvent it is to build a portfolio of homes and, and create passive income through multiple properties. And you know, one way is um, rental property. Another is just simply owning an owner-occupied house and not refinancing it 10 times. You know The rates are so low now, there would really be little reason to refinance unless you're able to cash out. And what I know is most people don't cash out of a refinance and establish a higher uh, mortgage rate or unpaid balance and then put it to work with passive income sources they typically spend it on consumables and um, things that are depreciating versus appreciating in terms of the asset value. So owning a home is one of the smartest ways to force savings. Um, you know, at the end of the day, even the twenty percent early on or twenty five percent that goes towards the principal balance, over time you'll watch that that unpaid balance drop, and that's just cash money in your pocket later. And if you own or occupy it again two or five years, it's tax free money that's in the in your bank account waiting to be cashed when you need it.
0: Well, not only is it for savings, but it's the opportunity to do additional savings. If you pay more every month on your mortgage, at the end, if you make one additional mortgage payment, it's like saving hundreds of thousands of dollars at the the end
1: of 30 years. Yeah, you should definitely consult a lending expert on the exact ramifications, the amount you should pay extra. But um, I I believe the numbers, if you paid one full payment, every year. So instead of 12, make 13, you can take a 30-year mortgage and drop it to 23 and a half or 24 years, yeah. saving you five or six years of mortgage payments. And the decision to do that might be locked into what else you could do with your capital. So instead of paying that down, maybe taking some of that extra cash you have on hand and investing it in a rental property and kind of double dipping is another is another great idea while interest rates are so affordably low. But either way, forced savings is a beautiful thing. And what we know is Americans are not good savers.
0: Yep. All right. That was number seven, forced savings. Number
1: Number eight Um, bank credibility. So as a business owner, I've got, you know, a Dozen or so different entities that I participate in and with, and the ability to go to my bank and borrow money um, is contingent on two things: one is assets and the other is the, the how many liabilities I have and My credibility is uh, directly correlated to my ability to borrow money and pay it back effectively and um, I would always ask my young investors you know my young home buyers you know do you ever intend to own a business? and the answer is often yes and then i ask the next question how's your personal financial statement coming along and I would often get a blank look, and they 're like, "Well, I have credit card debt and a job and Student a little bit debt. of cash and and so you know my advice is start to build credibility through asset acquisition and repayment and a home is a as a statement you know it 's a statement moment for a bank to look at you and know that you have capacity, and they 'll only loan money to people who have capacity and a and a history of re, you know paying back notes and loans." And so, you build credibility through home ownership, and it's a great starting place for, you know, again, to, a personal financial statement, a, a lot of your asset value is going to land squarely on the shoulders of real estate um, if you're the average homeowner and average consumer.
0: All right. So, bank credibility, number nine?
1: Number nine is just um, the, the expanding retirement through rental options, Um you know we've all heard the maybe you haven't so i'll just state it as if you hadn't but um if you bought 10 rental properties and you held on to them for 20 years and you ex, you know accelerated your payment schedule and paid them all off um, the likelihood of you having a multimillion-dollar asset in your pocket is extreme. Um, even if they're $150,000, $200,000 houses and, you know more rural, more suburban, and maybe they're less likely to appreciate aggressively, but the rental market is stronger, and you're able to acquire them at a lower rate where the you know rental income breaks even or makes a few bucks a month, which is ideal. Um you hold on to them long enough, you'll pay down ten houses at two hundred thousand two million dollars. Um and even if they only go up ten percent, that's two hundred thousand extra dollars in your pocket. And it's theoretically it's cash in the bank once the notes are paid off. Um, the income from those probably averaged between a thousand and fifteen hundred dollars. I don't even know, you know, crystal ball aside. Twenty years from now, what's the rental? You know, what's it going to cost to rent a home in you know the Metro Atlanta market?
0: It's astronomical I, now. It's well, cheaper to buy a house than own a house. Well, it's cheaper to buy a house than rent a house.
1: Well, it, it is brilliant, but not everybody's in a position to do that either because of transiency or timing or life change mm-hmm. or there's reasons why you know eighty thousand people coming to Atlanta. If that happens to be the actual number, it's unlikely that there are eighty thousand buyers, but there are 80,000 people that have to live somewhere. Absolutely, And so you tip the scales to your advantage and favor when you build a portfolio. And um, again, 20 years from now, you'll be patting yourself on the back for your brilliance. Um, and real estate doesn't suffer the same volatility that stocks do. Um, last year, my stocks were down double digits, and my real estate was up double digits. So... Uh-huh do the math, and it's not always that way, but the fluctuations are far less uh, driven by consumer, you know, just the media and, and stories on profit and loss and companies, you know, reporting strategies. So, again, it's a supply-demand game.
0: Yep. All right.
1: And number 10, this is my favorite, is social credibility, and just it's just cool, and I sort of touched on this with the pride and home ownership piece, um, but it's just a big deal to own real estate, and it's... Uh, I think if you're out trying to and this so don't judge me, but this is self observation in helping a dozen or so single people buy homes back in the day in their twenties that um there's something that's uh confidence inspiring. And I do think that your balance sheet matters. People are scrutinizing each other for a perfect fit. And when you bring a nice balance sheet to the experience and you're socially acceptable and cool and smart and driven, uh, I just think it's an advantage. And a lot of single people seem to find Mr. or Mrs. right within 12 months of buying a home. And so <laughs> you're, I'm glad that you chuckle and I chuckle, but I'm telling you it happened over and over. So it's just the social proof and credibility that you, know, you, you build and, and owning assets and not everybody does. And the people that do are perceived a little more A-game. And I think the more others perceive you A-game, the more you self-evolve as A-game and you just tend to grow into that image of, hey, I'm a success story. I have capacity. And uh, that's what we're here as real estate professionals to help people do is have their best life and their best uh, look in the mirror moment where they're like, hey, I'm pretty cool and I'm getting it done.
0: It's really awesome to help first-time homebuyers purchase a house. It's really awesome. And we've seen it again and again where they say, well, my friend also needs a house and, and she wants to buy a house because I just bought a house. <laughs> and so we'll help two, three, four, five people in the same group of friends all within a certain time frame because – they don't want to be renting if, you know, their best friend just bought a house. It is cool. It is it is social. It's street cred to own your own home.
1: Totally street cred. And there's nine additional reasons. You know, on top of that, that's just like almost like the cherry on the cake. It's kind of fun.
0: Yeah. It helps in dating, too.
1: <laughs> you said it. Uh, I alluded to it. You just said it. It's true. So,
0: you are, yeah, I mean, you're a great catch, right?
1: That's right. You can have a beat-down apartment with three roommates, or you can own your house and control your dynasty and your destiny, right? That's right. Yeah. That's
0: awesome. So some parting thoughts, Rick. Um, for the last seven years, we've had enormous growth here in Atlanta. Uh, since 2012, we've just gone up, 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 and away. What is the one thing that you would do now?
1: So when I look, uh, so number one, be cautious because as times continue to improve, there's a sense that times will always improve. And we know from 2009, 10, 11, that not all seasons of life are awesome. But what I remember from that season is that people who had appreciating assets and were, um, as opposed to consumables, like expensive cars and expensive um, jewelry and um, lots of uh, added expenses and lifestyle that aren't necessarily part of your portfolio, the people that really benefited from the down market were those that were liquid, had bank credibility, capacity to borrow, and networked with people with high net worth who were going to withstand any downturn. And so, my advice in today's world, while times are good, don't wait until they shift to get, you know, awakened to, oh, my gosh, I may have to sell off some things or scale back my living or lifestyle expenses. Start saving a percentage of your income now. Start building a war chest so that when the market does shift in that season of life, when opportunity is available and everything's on sale, you're a buyer, not a seller who's selling at the wrong time. Mm-hmm. And so, one is protect your credit. Two, eliminate as much debt as possible. Three, save cash so that you're liquid and have capacity for for um, for me, I set up an insurance policy. It's a whole life policy with a friend of mine at Northwestern Mutual that um, has a cash value that I can borrow against, and it's an asset that's non negotiable and it's cash based. Um, it only returns about four percent a year, but it's liquid asset buying power. And so, if you can, you know, hold yourself back from you know upgrading your car, and instead can uh, magnify your cash opportunity or your cash borrowing power. Um, when things go on sale, you'll magnify your rate of return because you'll buy low, you know, the whole classic buy low, sell high mm-hmm. mentality or theory. I don't expect a major shift, but there's one thing's for sure that over the, every 10-year cycle, there's going to be a shift.
0: Do you think we're heading into a shift now in Atlanta?
1: I think there are things that are helping us soften the effects of a potential shift, but I'm watching the numbers, and people are definitely consumers particularly are being a little more cautious about higher end homes and you know going above and beyond their means because I think there's a recognition that affordability is being challenged and that and I agree with you, I think it is cheaper in many circumstances to buy instead of rent, um, but there are certain price points where owning doesn't make as much sense, and you're buying just you know a very incremental lifestyle improvement, very little functional additional value, if that makes sense. Once you have, you know, four or five bedrooms, do you need a sixth? And, you know, do you need a partial basement or a full basement or how, you know, so location drives cost and value as well. So, yes, I think we are headed into a subtle shift. Um, A lot of this depends on consumer confidence and things happening around the world. And then there's elections, political energy,
0: interest rates, Mm -hmm. you know, all kinds of things happen to, to really change the mindset of the buyers and sellers out there.
1: Well, and and there are external factors that are real, like the economics and the political and the you know when, like for instance, when the trade centers were you know hit by the planes and you know nine um, eleven, everybody shut down for six months. Okay. I literally did not sell a house from September to mid to late January. Um, so it was maybe four months, but it was a painful four months where consumers just chose not to do anything. And so there's outside influencers that, you know, may affect opportunity that if you're in a position to take advantage, you win. And you've heard it before that, you know, more money's made in down markets than up markets. What they don't tell you, it's fewer people. So the people that do capitalize and win, win huge, and those that defer, delay, or don't aren't prepared, they're the ones typically liquidating at a significant discount for someone else's benefit. So focus on appreciating assets. Recalibrate your budget as if you're in a shift or a, a market that's softening, so that you're you're playing a little more defensively, and then build you know opportunities with lenders and creditors, and through either insurance strategies or through your banking relationships, lines of credits and HELOCs, pay off your secondary and third mortgage, You know things that you'll now have headroom should you need to borrow in the future for again appreciating assets and not depreciating consumables.
0: So don't live above your means.
1: That sounds like smart, smart <laughs> mindset to me.
0: <laughs> Perfect. All right. So number one, we have leverage. Two, mortgage tax deductible, save some money there. Number three, appreciation, um, and in your portfolio as well, adding to your your savings. Number four, pride and ownership, lots of pride there. Number five, no tax on capital gains, another savings benefit. Uh, number six, 1031, tax benefits. Number seven, forced savings, which is something that Americans really, really need to pay attention to. Number eight, bank credibility. Number nine, build a real estate portfolio to just grow your wealth through real estate. And number 10, some street cred with social credibility. Absolutely. Thank you very much for joining us, Rick. We really appreciate this. Thanks for laying down 10 awesome reasons to buy real estate now.
1: Happy wealth building, people. Thank you. Bye bye.
0: This has been the Perfect Property Podcast by Julie St. George. For more information, shoot me an email, julie, J-U-L-I, at theperfectproperty.com. Shoot me a text or give me a call, 404-668-8975, or check us out on the web, theperfectproperty.com. I'm also on all the social media sites. Look me up on Instagram and Facebook. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the host and guest only. They are not the views and opinions of Keller Williams Realty International, Keller Williams Heart of Atlanta Group, or Keller Williams Realty In Town Atlanta. Equal housing opportunity.